I think it's much easier to have less empathy when you're talking about this general concept than it is to hear like one-on-one stories. Like I'm sure if I sat down face-to-face with a lot of pro-life people, they would realize like I'm a human who made a really tough decision. I always tell people that it was like simultaneously the most like spiritual and like transformative and healing and loving experience of my whole life. I was like, why did I just have to go through all this alone? And why isn't it talked about more? People think that like, if you don't ever speak up about anything, like, oh, what is my voice going to do? What does that matter? Like, I'm just one person. But like, if I can stand up for at least one person, even if that person is just me, then like that makes a difference. Hi, I'm Tara Lopez. And you're listening to This Is What It Feels Like. On June 24th, 2022, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the historical legislation that made access to abortion care a federal right in the U.S. Uh, Yes, this is a blockbuster announcement. The Supreme Court has voted to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is the case that involves Roe v. Wade established 49 years ago. Political and social reverberations of this decision will be immense. Outside the Mississippi Clinic, at the heart of today's Supreme Court decision. We do abortion, and we're proud to do abortion. I had to look people in the eye and turn them away. That decision ended 50 years of legal protection and allowed individual states to restrict or outright ban abortion altogether. Since then, there's been at least 13 states that now have total abortion bans, with dozens of abortion clinics closing all over the South. There's confusion amongst physicians when it comes to what care they can and can no longer provide. And there's also this palpable collective fear and anxiety amongst many when it comes to what the future holds. I personally have never had an abortion, but I've known and loved friends and family members who have. And honestly, we all know and love someone who has either already had an abortion or who will. According to the World Health Organization, over 73 million abortions take place worldwide each year, with 6 out of 10 unintended pregnancies ending in an abortion. For this episode, I wanted to speak to folks who have had abortions. I went into these conversations knowing very little about the actual experience. What the process is like. How do you find resources? Or how does this affect your mental health? Of course, I've read articles and I've seen the conversations on Twitter, but I really wasn't aware of the full spectrum. The spectrum of emotions that it can bring, the questions, the doubts, the trauma, but also the beauty and the transformations. I spoke to Lorraine, Asia, Nico, and Andy all separately over Zoom, just weeks before Roe v. Wade was overturned. And even though they all have such unique stories and they live in separate parts of the country, it was clear that no matter how they came to the decision to have an abortion, there was still so much within making that choice. It was layered and complex. From Cap Radio, this is what it feels like where we share stories directly from voices that have been historically overlooked. This is what it feels like to have an abortion. My name's Lorraine Allard, and I currently live in Brooklyn, New York. 
Lorraine was 17 years old when she found out that she was pregnant. I definitely knew before I took the pregnancy test, but was what was in denial about it because I was 17 at the time and was like, how am I going to, ha- how am I going to get the money or the resources? I live in Los Angeles. I don't have a car. My mom is very Catholic, so I couldn't go to my parents about abortion. She went to a friend's house where she secretly took two pregnancy tests. Both were positive. She says that she only told one person. Otherwise, she kept the news to herself. Your reputation with your friends is everything. Like your social group is everything. And so I couldn't emotionally handle having like my social group judge me or shame me or question if I was making the right choice. So it felt like something I had to keep a secret. Lorraine said that she felt a lot of shame, which made her feel like she needed to figure out her next steps alone. Which when you're 17, you're used to your parents navigating, like scheduling all your doctor's appointments and asking the right questions for your doctors. If you have to take antibiotics, you know, it, it's not up to you at that age. So it was pretty difficult to figure out what to do next. She first called her local Planned Parenthood, but was told there weren't any available appointments for months. Luckily, there was a local hospital within walking distance from her parents' house where she was able to make an appointment. I did not feel supported by the people there. I had to do the process alone. And so the easiest way for me to cope was just to check out as much as I could. And then the physical abortion was actually pretty rough. They were struggling to get all the tissue out of my body. And so the I remember the pain medication wearing off and them still trying to get more out and not being able to. And after that, they decided to give me the abortion pill to make sure that everything was fully taken care of. She says that she went home that night not knowing what to expect from taking the pill. The doctors hadn't really told her what was going to happen, and she was in too much of a daze to ask. It was about a week later when she had her second abortion. I'd been camping in Kern River, and we were on our way back from uh, the camping trip to Los Angeles, and the rest of everything came out. And I was like soaked in blood in the car with my friends who had no idea that I had an abortion. And I had to like run into a fast food restaurant. And I remember looking into the toilet and there was just chunks of tissue in the toilet. And I just had to be like, oh, I got my period. Oops. Like, does anyone have a tampon? <laughs> uh, and luckily we had been camping. So I had extra clothes in the car, but like probably just, I mean, my lap was completely soaked in blood. That was a little traumatic for sure. Lorraine says that beyond the trauma of that incident, she also felt depressed. I was really sad. I was like really, really sad. Um, At the time, it made me feel like I could not rely on anybody. Because the experience was so painful, I remember just kind of laying around the house and watching TV all week and just not really engaging with anybody or not wanting to be around anybody. I'm someone who's always had a million hobbies and have a lot going on. So I just remember being so stressed out that I didn't want to get out of bed. She continued to keep her abortion a secret from friends, but especially from her family. So I had one instance after my abortion where I was in the kitchen and I think some of it ended up getting billed to my parents And my dad very calmly asked me if I was pregnant and I said no. And then 
never brought it up again, which that's exactly what I needed at the time was just like, okay, as long as you're good, we're good. It's totally, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pry. I pretty much tried my best to suppress the whole experience until I reached my early twenties. And then I started to realize people around me had had abortions or I had friends who were in the process of getting an abortion. And that started to help me realize like, oh, like this isn't something that's shameful. This is something that's normal. This is something that people need to do and know themselves well enough and understand their bodies well enough if that's something that they can handle at the moment. What are aspects of abortion that you think folks get wrong? I think people think it's an easy decision. I think people think it's a thoughtless decision. And even though I was 17 and I knew I couldn't handle a kid, there's obviously some questions in the back of my mind if I was making the right choice. It's not an easy choice no matter what you do. What would you say to your younger self? I would say that that shame is not yours to carry and that the people who love you are going to support you and know that you are doing the right thing for yourself at the time. Now Lorraine says it's easier to talk about her abortion. Aside from her friends, she's told her sister and says that she would tell her three younger brothers if it ever got brought up in conversation, but she still has not been able to tell her mom. I I don't know how my mom would respond still. And that's just kind of, I think part of the problem when it's religious-based, they fail to see the trauma in the experience for the individual because they're so focused on their beliefs. And they don't want to have that experience and that trauma dismissed. It's just not worth it. Why is it important for you to share your story? If I had access to these stories, I don't think I would have felt as isolated or as alone or as like ashamed. I think there's there's all these myths around like who gets abortions and why and I think the the louder people are about their experiences, the more we can normalize it. I think it's much easier to have less empathy when you're talking about this general concept than it is to hear like one-on-one stories. Like I'm sure if I sat down face-to-face with a lot of pro-life people and had an open dialogue with them, they would realize like I'm a human who made a really tough decision, that I'm not this hypothetical concept that I'm not this like theory or large political debate that I'm like a real person who had to make a really hard decision that was the best thing for myself in the long run. Nico Balat and I connected one afternoon over Zoom. She lives in San Francisco and it's where she also had her abortion. Like Lorraine, she says that she knew she was pregnant before she even took a test. I was still like completely shocked. Like, I know it sounds funny to say I was so surprised, even though like I I knew at the same time. But yeah, it was I had a hard time just kind of like coming to terms with it in that moment. Nico tells me she knew that having an abortion was the right thing for her. But despite that, a lot of feelings came up. She was 30 and says she felt a lot of shame around her age. It's just like you're too old. Like you should have figured out like how to like do this by now. Like you shouldn't be dealing with this. 
Despite that shame, she tells me that this entire experience was life-changing and made her feel the most connected to her body and spirit. Oh my gosh, it was honestly, when I have to like sum up like my experience with an abortion, like in just like one easy sentence, I always tell people that it was like simultaneously the most like spiritual and like transformative and healing and loving experience of my whole life. The physical effects of being pregnant, the nausea, the fatigue, the aches, all of it made her look at her body in such a new light. That was super powerful for me because I would identify as someone who's pretty healthy, has a healthy lifestyle, has a pretty healthy body. I realized like I kind of had always treated my body as like this efficiency or like productivity machine where it was like my conversations like internally was like we we need to be doing more and like let's run more miles and let's you know do more exercise and um, accomplish more like that was always kind of the narrative and my body like didn't really have its own voice to be like hey you know like let's fade a second or let's rest like that wasn't something that really happened until until I was pregnant you know and then suddenly it was like yeah, I'm too tired to exercise and I kind of feel sick. And it's like, wow, I never had really like allowed my body to have like its own voice or wisdom. That was really powerful for me. So that was really cool. Like, sure, I had doubts. I had fears. I had I had so much. I had like the stigma, like so much was like in the background. It was just at my core. I knew this was right. Also like Lorraine, Nico didn't tell her family. In fact, she still hasn't. She says that she would tell her mom if she asked, but says at the time she really didn't want to have to worry about having to manage other people's feelings. Can you walk us through that day? Actually, this is like a part of it that that like I feel like no one really talks about. Like for me, I wanted to know, like I wanted to know like all the details and sure like I had a, a great OBGYN and like I have health insurance, like I'm, I have a very privileged story. I also live in a place that's very supportive. While I was pregnant and, and getting ready, I was like, well, what can I expect? You know, like I was searching on the internet and, you know, I did find a lot of information on like what's actually like going on at like week four, or week five, but it was all to the like happy expectant mother, like your baby's the size of a pea. And I was like, why can't this just be translated for like somebody who's going to have an abortion? And I did find like, like I found like one resource that was put together by like an abortion doula. There was definitely like a lack of resources. Um, I, I, I think, uh, when I, when I had mine, but you know, I was kind of presented with two options. The two options are the abortion pill and an in-clinic abortion. Medication abortion consists of taking two different pills to end a pregnancy. These pills cause the cramping and bleeding that empties the uterus. An in-clinic abortion, also known as a surgical abortion, is a medical procedure. It works by using suction to empty the uterus. Nico ended up having a medication abortion. She had a friend there with her in the doctor's office, holding her hand during it all. I just remember my friend saying, like, this is a loving act, you know, like what you're doing, like this is an act of love. It was exactly what I needed to hear, honestly, in that moment, like the most perfect words that I could have asked for. But two weeks later, while at a checkup, she found out that not all of the tissue had been taken out. 
she had to undergo the surgical procedure and have a second abortion. After the procedure, she tells me that several of her friends supported her by dropping off groceries or sending her care packages. But the biggest thing was that they listened to her. I would just say, just the, if you want to support someone, just like really show up and for their experience, you know, and don't feel like you need to have your own opinions involved or anything like that. Um, I felt the most supported by people who just tried to mirror my experience back to me. And Nico tells me that her abortion has made her realize she does want to be a mother one day. I remember going through a run through Golden Gate Park at sunset and um, just having this really emotional experience at, at, at sunset where I was just crying and I felt like I was releasing like weeks of, of everything that I had gone through and just had this like really profound realization of like, wow, the line between grief and relief is so, so thin. But like the space between like getting pregnant and getting an abortion is so vast. Like there's so much space there to have so many feelings and thoughts. And it was just, wow, this was such a big experience, you know, that really like encapsulated like every insecurity I ever had, all my childhood trauma coming to the surface, you know, like every fear I'd ever had, um, like everything all rolled into this like one experience, you know, and it solidified this feeling that I had had my whole life, which was like, I want to be a mother someday. 100% was like, I can't wait to like, do this for real, you know, like when it feels right for me. What do you think people don't understand about abortion? I think the number one thing that folks get wrong is just like how normal it is. One in four women before the age of 45 will have an abortion. That is so normal. Like, it's so complicated and complex, and it's not just a black and white thing. When you talk to, like, a person who's had an abortion, you start to get this richness. Um, but when it's just, like, this politicized narrative, you, you kind of miss out on that. Yeah, it is both easy and hard, and it is, like... You feel really confident or empowered, but also you feel like kind of scared and, and insecure and doubtful. And and that's just my experience, I should say. I do have a friend who who like was such a source of strength for me who said, you know, like my abortion was like the most empowering day of my life. It was in and out. I went to McDonald's afterwards and ate some fries. I never thought about it again. Coming up, Asia has an abortion and deals with an unsupportive partner. We'll be right back. My name's Asia, and I live in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Asia was a senior in college living in Pennsylvania when she found out that she was pregnant. I remember being in my dorm room, taking a pregnancy test, it turning positive, and I was just, it was like, what am I going to do? I think the first person I told was my mom and I like I cried to her because I was like I don't know what to do like I'm about to graduate college I feel like I have my whole life ahead of me I don't know how to handle this and I remember my partner at the time I remember telling him and like he felt like I didn't include him in my decision he just felt like everyone told you this is what you're going to do and like we never talked about it and it was actually, you know, the movie Knocked Up. That So the year that movie came out is when this happened to me. So he said to me, 
you know, they made it work in the that movie. Why can't we do that? And I'm like, this is our real lives. You're comparing our real lives to a comedy movie. Like, this isn't funny. <laughs> Asia says that despite having health insurance, she had a difficult time navigating where to go for an abortion. I remember feeling like embarrassed and like afraid and like ashamed to be making these phone calls. And like just no one really being there for me during that time, my like my partner included. At the time, I had health insurance through my school. And at the time, I, you know, like I'm a young adult. I don't know how any of that stuff works. And like no one to really ask. So kind of just figuring it out on my own. And it was a lot. Eventually, she found a local clinic that would work with her insurance. Can you walk us through that day? That morning, I remember just being like so upset, so afraid. And, you know, my partner is down at the beach hanging out with his friends. So my mom went with me. And, you know, this is very common, but it makes the situation worse. There are protesters outside, like anti-abortion people outside of the clinic and then going inside, and then they ask you kind of like, are you sure, like, is it, you know, you really want to go through with this? I remember sitting almost in like a room full of other people who were there for the same reason, and just so many emotions in that room between the other people and myself, which is, is like heightening my feelings. And then You know, they bring you in for the procedure. And the last thing I remember is them saying to me like, oh, you're eight weeks. So you caught this just in time. So like that, those words kind of haunted me for a while. And then I remember, you know, you wake up in a room and then once you're kind of like good to go, everything wears off, you can go home. And my mom was driving me home and I was okay for a minute. And then I just remember like breaking down and like, crying my eyes out, like, did I make the right decision? She says that her partner at the time didn't help the situation. You know, he brought up again how he just feels like he had no say in this. You know, our family has just decided for us. And then I can recall like a night where I, like he had called me really late at night. He was like out with his friends drinking And like, is just like berating me over the phone. And like those words to this day, like they stay in my mind of just like him saying to me, like, you're such a whore, you're a baby killer. And like, I was like, I, (laughs) I felt guilty because it was like, I took this away from him. I internalized it and like blamed myself instead of like realizing at the time, like, this is so unhealthy. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Asia didn't tell many people, except for her best friend and her parents. She tried her best to suppress it over the years and to move on, but it was catching up to her. It wasn't until she sought out therapy years later that she was able to even say the word abortion. And up until this interview, she still couldn't really bring herself to say the word. I think until I had the phone call with you, 
I refuse to use the word abortion. Like I, I couldn't say it. Even all these years. So like, you know, when you go to the doctor, you get a checkup and everything. I either would never mention it or I would just say that like I terminated a pregnancy. I just didn't want people to look at me differently. Asia tells me that telling her story is healing for her and that it's helping her get to a place where she can more confidently own her story of having an abortion. Today, I kind of had a light bulb moment. So I started a new job and it's not going great, but that's okay. But I was like, what is the universe trying to teach me right now? And I realized it was like, I need to speak up for myself. I tend to be a little bit more like soft-spoken, quiet. I don't like conflict, that sort of thing. And then I was like, you know what? It's funny that this happened at work today and I made the decision to stand up for myself. And now I'm going to go talk on a podcast about something completely unrelated. However, I'm still speaking up. So it feels empowering to be able to share my story and share my own experience. And if it only helps me, fantastic. But if it helps one other person, two other people, several other people, then like that means everything to me. What would you tell your younger self, that girl in the waiting room? I think I would tell her that like, I love her. I'm proud of her. You did what was best for yourself first. And also for, you know, this wouldn't have worked out well. Like if you would have moved forward with this decision, you would have been forever tied to this unhealthy partner. And how would that look for your child? Like, you know what that feels like to grow up in a home that is filled with dysfunction, don't continue that cycle. My name is Andy Wilson, and I live in Seattle, Washington. Andy was in her late 20s when she found out she was pregnant. She was living in Brooklyn at the time. And like Lorraine, Nico, and Asia, she knew something was off and immediately confided in a roommate. After confirming her pregnancy with two tests, Andy knew she would be getting an abortion. Wasn't looking to be a parent anytime soon in my life, but actually being pregnant and having like the feeling, it puts your mind in a new place, of course, of like, well, what if I did keep it? And what if, you know, I did change my life? But she knew that wasn't the right decision for her. And it wasn't a reality in her current long-distance relationship. So after telling her partner her decision, she made an appointment at Planned Parenthood. The next available one was in six days. And that's when she decided to tell all of her roommates. I told some people that night and, you know, everybody's hugging me and like, we support you. And then one person specifically asked like, like, so are you going to be a mom or like... (laughs) you know, you're going to have a baby, like assuming like I wouldn't have an abortion for some reason. That was the first one that kind of put me off. I was like, oh, no, I'm not. I don't think I'm planning on keeping it. One in particular was closer to the day I was having my abortion and a roommate was leaving 
for an international trip before Christmas. And she asked if she could touch my belly. Yeah. And that was really shocking to me because I didn't want any emotional connection. I didn't want to think of it as a fetus or a baby. It was an embryo to me. I did not want to think of it as a baby. So that was really upsetting. And I just had to tell her, no, I'm sorry. You can't, can't do that. (laughs) And that's not the way I think about this. And then she just left. On the day of her abortion, she took the train to her local Planned Parenthood. She decided to go alone. Because she didn't have health insurance, she had to pay $600 out of pocket for the procedure. I was pretty miserable. No, it was not a comforting place to be, I will say. Had my ultrasound after that. And then they have to ask you, like, if you're 100% sure you want to do it. Like, and I think that was another hard part of it. It's just like being like, yes, I'm sure. Please don't like make me question myself. Like, I just want to get through this. Then you go to the final step of talking to somebody. Uh, They just give you the pills. They instruct you what to do, give you numbers to call if you have issues. And they try to see if they can also get you on birth control, which I didn't like. I'm like, why do I have to talk about this now? Or, you know, they ask, do you want to consider getting on birth control? Which I think is a really biased way of like telling somebody like, oh, you shouldn't get pregnant again. (laughs) Or it's like, do you want to avoid getting abortion in the future? Which is not the way I personally look at abortion. I think somebody should be able to get as many abortions as they need or want to have. After speaking to a counselor, Andy finally headed home and says that she bought herself a slice of pizza before hopping on the train. She spent the next few days alone at home, watching movies and resting with a heating pad and strong ibuprofen. She tells me that she felt emotional during that time and internally angry, processing feelings of isolation and wondering why this experience wasn't talked about more. How do you wish you would have been supported by those around you during that time? I love that question. (laughs) I just wish people would have asked me more of what I needed rather than focusing on the actual like, oh, like Andy is going to like abort a baby or like the way they saw it, I think, in their eyes. Or can I can I be there with you? Is there anything you need after your abortion? Like the aftercare is just as important as is during, in my opinion. If I if I know anybody going through that, I just mostly want to listen to their experience too. I think a lot of people just need to talk about their experience and find some kind of common ground with people, or at least that's like what I, I needed afterwards. And it's different for everyone. Pregnancy does not look the same across the board at all. And, but just kind of knowing like, oh, this is what taking the pills at home is probably going to look like and the timing of everything. And these are the things you should have. I, I just think it's so important to share all the little details like that. So people feel loved and supported and cared for and knowing like it's okay. And abortion is, is completely normal. And however you feel about it, if you're sad about it, if you regret it, if you're like, that was such an easy decision for me, it's everything is acceptable and, um, you know, completely valid. For years now, Andy has been inspired to help others navigate their own abortions by sharing resources or helping counsel friends. 
she started training to become an abortion doula, learning from those who have worked as doulas for years, help with aftercare and extra support. She also has some advice for folks who want to learn more about abortion, and it starts with the language we use. She says by simply using the words abortion or pregnant people, you can automatically make all people feel included in the conversation. This affects everybody on so many levels, and especially trans people who are are pregnant because there's so many other things stacked up against them, especially in these trigger states or where abortion is really hard to access right now. You also don't need to have like a traumatic situation or or story to like uh, affirm that abortion is is something everybody deserves and needs. Like if you just want to have one, you should be able to have one. I do think people just need to be listening more. There's so many, especially like Black leaders and queer leaders who've been, again, at the front of this for so long now. So I think follow them and take steps from from there, you know. This doesn't all have to be done overnight. Like, you know, this is going to keep happening for years and years to come. Like, who knows the full extent of what's going to happen? Because before you know it, you will probably know somebody close to you who's going to need that assistance. I love what Andy says about this work not having to happen overnight, because it's easy to forget that. And we need to have abortion come up in our everyday conversations so that we can destigmatize this and see abortion for what it really is, a normal thing that happens every day. And it can be a difficult and complex decision, or it can be simple. But regardless, as all of them have explained, it's never a careless decision. I want to thank Lorraine, Nico, Asia, and Andy for sharing their stories with us. For most of them, this was the first time they had sat down and talked about their experience so openly, and I'm so honored to have shared this space with them. On the next episode of This Is What It Feels Like, all the unanswered questions I was saving up for him since I was 14 that I, that he stole from me. Losing a parent to suicide. This is a personal one for me. For the season finale of This Is What It Feels Like, I sit down with two friends who have also lost a parent to suicide. It's one of the most healing and difficult conversations I've ever had. This is What It Feels Like is a production of CAP Radio, hosted and produced by me, Tara Lopez. Jen Picard produced and edited the show. Sally Longnecker is our executive producer. Original theme song and music produced by Wes Jones. Paul Conley is our sound designer. Chris Bruno is in charge of marketing. Our designs were created by Marissa Espiritu. Renee Thompson is our digital products manager. We'd like to thank Carl and Sue Miller, whose generous gift was instrumental in making this podcast come to life. If you want to make sure you don't miss any episodes, follow or subscribe to this podcast. We've got links to resources in our show notes. For photos of our guests and more information, visit capradio.org feels. Thanks for listening to This Is What It Feels Like.